I believe that today in this moment that um, as I'm up here that God is uh, God's going to speak and God's going to move not because of me uh, not because of JB but because we actually open God's word and God is speaking today in his word and I say this a lot I'm like you want to hear God speak open his word if you want to hear God speak out loud read his word audibly you know what I mean and you'll hear it and so that's it, it's amazing and so I just love the fact that that God is still moving and working and so I want to say welcome um, I want to say early happy Thanksgiving, you guys, and I mean that. Happy Thanksgiving to you. If you are traveling this week, please be safe, uh, be careful. Come on, let's be honest. There's a lot of crazy people on the road, right? You got to watch yourself when you're driving. So um, I pray that this is a, a great time for you with family and some friends, and um, and you just have a great week and a blessed week as you're, as you're gathering. And then um, I just want to say thank you for those of you, of course, that were here last week. You know this if you missed it. That's all right, but I want to say thank you to Luke Bolts, who, uh, who preached last week. Um, him and his family are out of town right now, but man, what a, what a, just an amazing young man. And uh, I just, I love seeing God work on his life and the call that he has. And as, as most of you know, he's recently engaged. Um, he's getting ready, they're getting ready, of course, to get married. They want to go on the mission field. I'm like, man, he's just a better human being than I am, you know? I, I like at his age, he's just so much more mature than I was, and maybe than I am right now, let's be honest. Um, but he's just an incredible young man, and, and if you think about it, like, keep praying for, for him and uh, his fiance as it's just, you know, this next few months and what they're embarking on, and then the call that God has in their life. And it's, it's special, and so I'm, I'm excited for them, and just, yeah, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm excited. All right, I, I've been gone for a one week, and you know what happens when I'm gone for one week. I talk a lot more. And, uh, and so I'm excited for today, and if you're, again, if you're new with us, um, we like going through the Bible. We like going through, taking a, a book of the Bible and actually navigating through it the best we can, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so we are in, uh, we've been in 1 Corinthians, and if you've missed, that's all right. I, I want to give you just a little bit of background to what's going on as we jump in here this morning. Um, 1 Corinthians is, is a book written, or a letter written, by a guy by the name of Paul. Paul, of course, is uh, one of the foremost uh, church planners, missionaries, writes, you know, three-quarters of the New Testament. And he's writing a letter back to a church that he planted some years earlier on, uh, on one of his missionary journeys. And uh, he's writing this letter addressing issues or problems that the church in Corinth um, was dealing with, that they were facing. And really, it's, it's one of my favorite letters, it's one of my favorite books, um, because it is written to a church full of problems. And I don't say that because I like, you know, problem churches. Um, I say that because I, I know uh, every church is indeed a church with problems. Amen? It's okay, we can say that. I mean, it's all right. Like, we can be okay with that. Every church, every congregation... They, they, they have their issues, they have their problems, and I'm thankful that the, the New Testament, God's Word, shows that. Like, it, it not only shows it, but then it addresses how to deal with it, like what to do when we are faced with these things. Because it, it'd be one thing if it was just like written, and, and, and we had this letter, and then the reality is there, there was you know, nothing really going on. But the fact is that this church in Corinth has had problems, things they were dealing with. And let's, let's, let's be honest, um, every church since then has problems and things that it's dealing with. And I, I hear people a lot of times, you know, they, and, I, and I know what they're saying, they're making jokes like, 
we just need to get back and be like the church in the New Testament. And I'm like, well, which one? Because if you just read through like the New Testament, I mean, these churches had a lot of problems, right? They had a lot of things they were facing and dealing with. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily want to go back to that. I know what they mean. They want, you know, we're, we're all gathering together and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I get that. But, but really, when you, when you actually sort of peel the layers back and you get into it and you go, man, these churches, they had, they had a lot going on, like we do today. When I say we, I'm not talking just of Christian Life Center. I'm talking collective, the capital C church. Um, there, there are things that we're facing, things we're dealing with. And I love the fact that Paul is addressing these things. And the things he's addressing were relevant then, and they're still relevant some 2,000 years later. In fact, the things that we're going to deal with today, that we're going to jump into, and what we're going to look at, um, is, 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 let me say it, it's very relevant for today, but it is difficult. And it's difficult because we have to get really honest with ourselves. Not necessarily getting honest publicly, but there's, there's this time as we get into this and we start reading that we're going to have to get really honest. We're going to have to let God do some work on our lives. And get really, really transparent and let God really kind of get in there and dissect our hearts and really begin to convict of what has been going on, things we've been dealing with, things we've been struggling with. It's going to be difficult. Today's passage, if I'm just being transparent, is hard. It is a hard passage. It's not necessarily hard to understand, but it's hard to apply to our lives. So can I free us up today? Can I free us up to say that, did you know it is okay to be a Christian and to go through this life and go, man, today is really difficult to be a Christ follower. Come on, have you ever been there? That does not make you less of a Christian. Can I just say that? Like sometimes we think, like, I don't know that I can ever say that, man, today's really hard to be a Christ follower. It's difficult at times. It's, it's difficult to sacrifice. It's difficult to trust some days. It's difficult to walk in obedience some days. Come on, am I alone? Am I the only one that feels this? Some days I'm like, man, today's hard to trust. Today's hard to obey God's word. Today's hard to sacrifice. Like, I just, it's difficult. I woke up this morning and I go, everything inside of me wants to not do that. I'd rather do this. I just feel like this would be easier and simpler and I could just live in more peace right now if I just went this way. And Paul's going to address this in chapter 6. And so as we get into this, please hear my heart on this, that this is a hard and difficult passage. Again, not hard to understand. It's going to be difficult, though, to apply and to live out. And so as we jump in today, can we, uh, can we first and foremost, uh, can we just pray together? And uh, let's, let's, uh, let's jump in here as, as I uh, do my best to try to unpack this to the best of my ability. Father, we just say, uh, we just take a moment and we, we say we love you. And we thank you. Thank you for your word, the truth of your word. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that over the next few moments, Father, just um, I pray that you would just move and you would just work. Let your Holy Spirit move in this place and work in this place, Father. Um, God, we just trust you. We love you. And, and I'm super thankful, God, uh, not for only for what you're doing here, but what you're doing in Santa Cruz County. I thank you for the, the other local churches who are proclaiming Christ today, people that are hearing about your son Jesus today, um, Father, be with them and uh, continue to, uh, to use them, Father, in the name of Jesus. We love you so much, and everybody said, amen. amen. 
So if you have a Bible, you can jump in. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul is continuing uh, really in a, a similar theme as in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And he's really talking about the church and the body of believers that they need to step into the authority that God has given to them um, and, and they need to start making some, some judgments, some, some righteous judgment calls uh, together as a, as a group of believers. Because this uh, church in Corinth was having problems, they were having problems really trusting um, the authority that God had given to them. The, the moment that they had said yes to Jesus, Jesus had poured out his Holy Spirit. He has given them uh, wisdom through his word. They had the Old Testament. They were actually receiving at this time the New Testament, which I think is super cool. And then they had, um, they had been given godly um, elders and, and, and authority through guys like Paul, guys like Apollos, guys like Peter, and then a bunch more. And so they had all of this access to be able to make uh, righteous judgments and decisions, and yet they weren't doing it. In other words, there was sin happening, things happening within the church and the body of believers were not taking care of the issues. They weren't taking care of their own house. And they needed to take care of it. And so Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and this will just be on the screen for you. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. In other words, the church has a responsibility, a God-given responsibility, to take care of things inside. If there's things going on, if we know about it as a church, as a body, we have a responsibility and a duty to step into that, to make righteous judgments. Again, I've said this before, um, it, it is not something that they teach in Bible school or seminary. They don't teach you, like, they don't go, hey, come to the righteous judgment class 101, and we're going to teach you how to righteously judge people within the church it's and it's something that really goes against culture today right culture says no don't judge me i won't judge you let's not you know no judgment right do what you want that goes up it flies in the face of everything culturally but yet god is telling us god is calling us paul is is reminding the believers the church hey no no there are things happening and you need to step into that our physical bodies respond in the same way that god designed us this way if your body gets sick your cells respond trying to get rid of whatever is in there. It, it immediately responds that way. It's the way God has designed it. God, God, is, um, God, God has beautifully made our bodies this way. Uh, you are fearfully, wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. Like, all of that is, God has done this incredible thing. In fact, if God is going to do a work here on planet Earth, God uses you and me. Like, he uses us to carry out his, his work here on the earth. But sometimes, sometimes, just like our physical bodies can get infected, so can the local church. The local church can get infected. And the church at Corinth in this moment, in this time, when he's writing this, is infected. There's a problem within the church. And Paul is calling on the body to do something about it. So, as we jump in here, Paul is really going to address two major issues here in chapter 6. Paul is going to address uh, legal matters within the church, 
courtroom type stuff. And then, of course, he's carrying on with the same theme that he's been um, carrying out of chapter 5. He's going to continue this into chapter 6, which is um, immoral issues within the church. So let's, let's read a few verses, and then I'll, I'll try my best to unpack some of this stuff. Starting with verse 1, it says this, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to the law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now remember, in chapter 5, and I just read it, Paul says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those within the church whom you are to judge? Right? God judges the outside. He says, purge the evil one from among you. So, logic would just say this, like simply put, believers, Christ followers, are not to judge non-believers. Right, isn't that, I mean, that's like logically speaking, that's what he's saying. Now, hear my heart on this. Here, let me understand, let me say this. When I say that we're not to judge non-believers, that does not mean that you can't speak what is truth. It means you don't sit passively by and just go, you don't stand up for what is the truth of God's word. But we ultimately do not dictate someone's eternity. We don't do that. And so logically saying that we don't judge, um, we don't judge non-believers, just like non-believers don't judge believers. And so what Paul is talking about here is he's saying, listen, you as believers within the church, you have the wisdom, the maturity, and the insight to be able to handle some of these things that are going on right now within the body, here, there at the church. You need to be able to make judgments, righteous judgments. As believers, you've been given the authority by God to be able to handle the matters that are going on within the local church. Now, legally speaking, this was different than maybe what we have today in our legal system. So in those days, in Corinth, there weren't, um, there weren't Christian judges, and th there wasn't um, believers in civic areas of government. And so this is why Paul is, is speaking very sternly about this. He's going, listen, you're, you're taking this before non-believers to make judgments that should be made by believers. Okay? That's what he's saying here. Now, in our day and age, it's a little different. So there are some things, now hear me, I'm not saying that all legal matters are things we just ignore the legal system and we take care of it ourselves. That's not what we're saying here, because there are some things that we have to take legally, we need to, and it needs to be handled. But we have been blessed today that we do have people within our legal system that are believers. I have a really good friend of mine here in town, he's a lawyer, like I would trust him with some legal matters because he has a biblical worldview, like I would trust him to, to handle some of these situations. Paul is really talking about, like, trivial matters. And really, he's not even talking so much about legal issues here. 
That's not what he's getting into. He's using that as the example. This is how it's playing out. Paul is really addressing their lack of maturity. That's what Paul's dealing with here. He's really looking at him. He's going, listen, your lack of maturity is carrying into, and it's, it's taking you to the place where you're taking this out into the public arena, and it's on display. So you had non-believers, I'm sorry, you had believers that were trusting non-believers to handle issues that could have been taken care of between believers. You see, Paul is telling, he's going, listen, the Holy Spirit has given you the wisdom and the discernment to be able to take care of these matters internally. You don't need to take it to non-believers. You don't need to take it in front of a group. And, and I didn't want to get into this too much, uh, talking about the, the, the legal side of it. it. It's not like today where you have a juror of 12. In, in this time, jur- juries would range anywhere from like 50, and there's even records of some juries being upwards of 1,000 people making decisions. I don't know how any decision got made with a thousand people as a jury, but it was very public when they took these matters outside of the church to non-believers. And so Paul is saying, he's going, listen, this is pretty simple stuff. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. We've been given God's wisdom. We should be able to handle this within the local body. We should not need to keep going out and taking this before a court and being very public with all of the stuff. We shouldn't have to air all the dirty laundry of what's going on within the local church, trivial disputes in front of everybody. And then Paul says something very interesting, and I just want to unpack this for a moment. Um, I want to hit on this before we go back. Paul talks about that the saints will judge the world. And man, I would love to do a study on this at some point, um, an eschatology study. We just don't have time today to get into all this. If you want further study on this, you can read a couple things. You can read Matthew chapter 19. You can read Revelation uh, chapter 20. You can even read uh, Daniel chapter 7, where it talks about the saints, you and I, that one day we will judge the world. It's very fascinating. And then he talks about that we will judge angels, which I think is a whole, it's a whole other uh, layer into this thing, which you're kind of like, what is happening right now? And when he's talking about angels, a lot of times this is taken out of context. A lot of people think like, well, do I get to one day look at my so-called like guardian angel who screwed up, you know, 15 years ago, who didn't show up when I, they should have been there? Um, that's not what this is. This is talking about uh, fallen, the demonic, um, that we will carry and have authority over them. God has given... Uh, really what Paul is saying is God, is God has made you and I, he's made humans unique. We are unique to all other um, created living creatures. That God has created you, God has created me, we are, we are in his image. There's no other thing that he's created that bears his image or that has his breath within, within us. So with that, with that, we have been called to a much higher standard of living. And so Paul's going, listen, if you can't handle, like, the authority here, like, taking care of issues here, what makes you think, sort of, in the next, that you're going to be able to sit in judgment and and have authority there? He's going, if you can't even handle what you've been given here, what God has placed on you, how do you think you're going to handle that in the next? There's just no way. And then Paul gets a little frustrated. 
And he says, I say this to your shame. He starts getting a little like, you can tell he's irritated at this point. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? You can hear it. Like, you can hear the frustration that Paul has in this moment. He says, listen, I'm tired of this. I have heard about the issues. I've already written to you once to take care of the issues. You're not taking care of it. I've got another, um, you know, uh, letter and, and some information, and I'm rewriting to you again. Like, this needs to be handled. Come on, guys. Isn't one of you wise enough to be able to take care of this thing? Do you, do you really need me to keep, like, talking to you about it? Do you really need to take all of the, the problems that you have, all of these trivial matters, and taking them out into the public arena and airing the church's dirty laundry in front of everybody? I mean, this is really sort of the underlying issue in the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And it's kind of an issue that I would say is still around today within, within the church. It's really the Christian community re- relying on the ways of the world to resolve issues rather than, than on relying on God's word to resolve things. Using human wisdom rather than God wisdom. The reason that Paul is so frustrated is because all that's happening is he says, you guys are taking this out. He says, you're airing the dirty laundry, and it's causing more strife and more division and more issues than it is helping. You're actually not solving anything. You see, this still happens today, right? Like, this still goes on. Like, we as believers still do this. We still have this. We take things out to the public arena. We air our dirty laundry. Come on, have you guys ever heard of Facebook? I'm serious. Like, think about this. How many times have you seen believers on Facebook arguing over church theological issues and they're debating in the public arena? They're putting each other down. They're talking about this church versus this church, this pastor over this pastor, this theological issue over this theological issue. And all they're doing is they're just debating in a public area for everyone to see. And, and all the non-believers are going, man, I always thought those Christians claimed to be so loving and kind, and yet all they're doing is arguing all the time. Listen, I'll be honest with you, if you're out on Facebook having discussions like that, stop. It's not doing any good. That is not a good witness. That is a terrible witness for Christ. I, they're, they're, listen, you know what you can do? You can use the, the thing that you have in your pocket that it's called a phone. It's amazing. Use it for what it is, right? Like, actually pick it up, reach out to the person, call them and go, man, I would love to meet with you. And let's have a face-to-face discussion and let's talk because I think we have a disagreement. And let's talk it out. But man, I see this all the time and I'm like, I, I go, what is happening right now? When we do this kind of stuff, when we think that we're winning or we think we've won the argument, Actually, what ends up happening is everybody loses. Everybody loses in that situation. Verse 7, it says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Paul says, listen, Once you take it out in public like that, 
once you go before non-believers, once you step into that, once you allow them to make the decision, you think that one of you is going to get the, the, the ruling in your favor, but the reality is, is both of you lose, not only you lose, but the church is losing in that moment. And then Paul pushes on him a little bit, and he goes, listen, if you want to know what to do, he says, just follow the example of Christ. He says, wouldn't it be better to be wrong, to be cheated, to be defrauded, than to take advantage? Like, wouldn't it just be better to do that? Or better yet, he goes, just do what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5. Just listen to what Jesus says. If someone smacks you on the right cheek, turn the other one. Man, that's easier said than done. Someone, someone does something to me, I do not want to turn the other cheek. I want to fight. Like, I don't want to back down. But he goes, no, no, it's better for you. It is a better witness to turn. Someone um, asks you for your, for your shirt, he goes, give them your jacket. Just give them your jacket. Someone asks you to walk a mile, man, you better walk two miles. That's a better witness. This is so countercultural to everything that we're taught today. It was countercultural today. It was countercultural then. It is just strictly, I, won't, I don't want to even say countercultural. It is counter-human, like the human heart. We do not like doing that. It is so difficult. And Paul tells us, and he tells the church in Corinth, he's saying, listen, if you claim to be a Christian, then act like Jesus. If you claim to be a Christian, then just act like Jesus. Can I, can I just encourage you today? Because I sound like I'm harping on you. I'm really not harping on you. I'm just trying my best to unpack this. I feel like I'm harping on myself. I don't like this. I don't like some of this stuff. This is really difficult for me. But can I encourage you just today? If you are in right standing with God, like you're living faithfully, you're doing the best you can, it does not matter what other people think of you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what someone else thinks of you, what they say about you, what they posted about you, what they're telling somebody about you. It does not matter if you've been wrong, if you've been hurt, if somebody has done something to you. I know it hurts, and I'm not saying it doesn't matter and devaluing what they did or what they said. That's not my heart here. I'm saying that God will take care of it. God will handle it. In his due time, he will take care of it. God says that vengeance is his, amen? And we have to trust that he will handle it. Man, my wife and I watched this, and I won't get into the specifics. We watched this play out with some really good friends of ours. It was absolutely awful what happened. My, my good friend, I mean, the things that were said about him, the things that ended up happening to him, his kids were taken from him. He was thrown in jail. I mean, the list could go on and on and on and on, all because of his wife came up with all this stuff. And we watched, and we, I mean, we prayed and prayed and prayed, going, God, I, we know that vengeance is yours, but we're not seeing it. We're not seeing it. And we just prayed and believed. And we saw God take the situation and turn it around, and it was unbelievable what we witnessed and saw. Like, we saw the hand of God work in courtrooms, with social workers, I mean, crazy stuff. That I was like, how is this even happening? It could only be God. Like, God stepped in and God took care of it. It was an amazing thing to watch. Listen, if something is going on and somebody has hurt you and done something, God will take care of it in God's time. He will. And I just want to encourage you with that. But it is so hard because everything in us, right, our human, ooh, 
let me show them. Let me tell them. I want to make sure they suffer the way I've been suffering, the way I've been hurting. God says, no, just give it to, give it to me. I'm going to handle it, and he'll take care of it. Easier said than done. Verse 9. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, I'm going to take a moment here, and I want to be careful with this next section. The church in Corinth, I think, forgot something that was fundamentally so important. There is a big difference, and there should be a big difference, between believers and non-believers. This is what the church in Corinth, the believers then, were forgetting. That there is a big difference between believers and and non-believers. The way I would say it is this way. If someone is not following Jesus they would be considered unrighteous by what we know of here, correct? What we know of biblically, they'd be considered unrighteous because they're not following a righteous God. Does that make sense? Choosing not to follow a, a righteous God would make you unrighteous. It's, it's, just, it's just basic logic, right? Paul says that unrighteous people will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, If Jesus is going this way, and he goes, hey, if you follow me, over here is my father's kingdom, over here. But you have to go this way in order to receive his kingdom. So the way that you do that, to live righteous, you got to go this way. If you choose to go, I'm not going to go that way, but I'm going to go this way, then you're choosing to walk away from what is righteous and live unrighteous. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying in this moment. He's going, listen, there is a big difference, and there should be a difference between those that claim to be in Christ, living righteously, and those that have rejected. And they, they then are living unrighteous. They're choosing to go this way. So the natural question then is simply, what does it mean, or what does he mean when it says unrighteous? Well, we go back to God's word, and we look at the truth of God's word to determine who is unrighteous, right? What is, or who determines what is good and what is evil. Now, I understand that we live in a culture right now of moral relativism. Would you guys agree with that? Which means that everybody gets a truth today. You get a truth, and I get a truth, right? That's moral relativism. Okay? Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. It sounds great. The problem is, is um, it will always contradict itself. Always. It it is illogical at best. But it will always contradict itself. uh, Maybe the best example is, um, well, I don't know if it's the best example. It's the best I could come up with uh, for this moment. Out front is a 2013 F-150. It's gray. It's nice. Chris may go, um, he may claim to say that's his truck. 
And we could get out of church, and we could walk out in the parking lot, and he's standing by it. We walk out there today, and he goes, hey, like my truck? It's my truck. And I'm like, we, we have a problem here. Because I actually, it's actually my truck. And I can prove that it's my truck. Right? I, I, have, I have the title to it. Thank goodness. I love it. My favorite truck is a paid-for truck. Amen? So I have the title to it. It's my truck. I actually have the keys to it. I, I, I pay for the insurance. He can say all day long that it's his truck. He can claim that it is, but the reality is, truth states that it's not his truck. Right? The facts say it's not his truck. It is my truck. Now, I would gladly sell it to you uh, for, you know, 20% over um, the value. And then it can be your truck. <laughs> Sorry, that was my best example. Thank you, thank you. Relative truth will always contradict itself. Always. It is, again, illogical at its very best, and I hate to even say that. There is and must be a universal truth, a standard. And so the question is, well, who sets that standard? Who sets it? As a Christian, as a believer, as we follow Christ, that means that we are submitting under him as the one who sets the standard for what is righteous and what is unrighteous. What is good and what is evil. What is truth and what is not truth. We submit to that as Christians, as believers. So with that, as we jump into this next section, we have to understand that all of us have done unrighteous things that we have to repent for and ask for forgiveness of. I never would get an amen on that line. I was expecting, you know, like, amen from me, right? I'll just amen on that. I have done a lot of unrighteous things that I have to ask forgiveness of and repent from a lot. Even today, I have thought unrighteous things that I have to go to God and say, God, please forgive me for that. In my quiet time, every morning, I go to God, I say, God, please forgive me of my unrighteous thoughts. Please forgive me. My unrighteous behavior. God, please forgive me. So then Paul is going to unpack this, and he's going to give very clear examples to the church in Corinth, and then to us, of what are some unrighteous behaviors. So here we go. I said in the beginning, not hard to understand, hard to apply. Not hard to understand, hard to apply. Do not be deceived. Neither the, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterous, those that practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God.
Paul is giving very distinct examples of what it is to be unrighteous. He's spelling it out. It is very clear. He's not, he's not mincing words in this moment. He's being just, here it is. This is what it is to be unrighteous. And he's giving this example because he's going, listen, this is what, this is what non-believers, this is how they live. He's not, he's not saying you're better than non-believers. He's not coming down on non-believers. He's going, they just haven't been set free from these things. So non-believers, this is how they live. This is what they do. As believers, you should not be living this way. Willingly live this way. Because if you read the list, and I say willingly, if you read the list, every one of us has fallen into these things and continues to fall into this thing in some degree. Amen? We just do. We fall into these things. We, and then we go, God, forgive me. God, I don't want to continue that. God, I struggle here. And there are things, as I read this list, some of you go, man, I, I'm, I, I struggle with a lot. I struggle with a couple. I struggle with all. I mean, just the list is there. And you know, God is, God's the one working on your heart. And he's revealing that to you. Now, I want to do something. I'm going to unpack uh, something here really quickly. And I just felt like I needed to as we, get, as we kind of go into this. And, and really, I'm unpacking this um, may, maybe to help us see this a little bit differently. The, the version I use, I use the, the ESV. Sometimes I use the NIV. I think they're great versions. They don't always, I think, do the best as uh, translating out of the Greek into the English language. And so I want to, I think the King James Version sometimes does a really good job of unpacking these things, maybe a little better than some of these versions, but I want to I dive into one little area and talk about this, and it's going to be uncomfortable, just so you know, it's going to get uncomfortable, but we're going to talk about it. In the King James Version, when, when uh, we're talking about practice homosexuality, I, I want to dig into this because this is so prevalent in our, in our culture right now. It seems like it's, it's hitting sort of right up front and I want to talk about this. The King James says it this way. It says, nor the effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Or uh, another way you could say that, uh, sodomites. And I want to just unpack what that actually means when he's talking about homosexual, homosexuality. Because Paul is actually addressing uh, both sides of this, and it's very fascinating. The effeminate... Um, the word is translated homosexual. It actually refers to the person in a homosexual relationship that takes on the f- more of the, the feminine role in the homosexual relationship. We know that God designed, you go all the way back to Genesis, God designed it to be between a man and a woman. We know that. Uh, we know that Satan is not a creator of anything. He can't create anything. He only takes what God has already created, and he basically warps it, okay? He can't create anything. So he takes what God designed, and he goes, I'm actually going to just steer it off a little bit, and I'm going to warp it. So everything that God has designed, if you look at what the enemy does, it kind of mirrors it, but it's off, right? And so in the relationship, there is a, a, someone that takes on the male role, and someone that takes on the feminine role in the homosexual relationship. So Paul is addressing that. He's going... The effeminate, he's talking about those that take on the female or the, the, uh, the effeminate role. That's what he's talking about there. The second word that you find in many translations is, he refers to sodomite. And it says, uh, the abusers of themselves. 
This is taking on, in the homosexual relationship, the, the, the dominant, the masculine role within the homosexual relationship. So now, this is what I hear a lot when we, we talk about this and we talk about God's word. Well, this was written a long time ago, and it's not relevant for what's today. Like, they didn't deal with these things back then. Back in Bible times, um, homosexuality just wasn't accepted, and it wasn't so... We've, we've advanced so much, and we've come so far that now it's just, it's just more accepted, and, and it's, it's okay now. And so this is just outdated, right? We, we, we got to update this thing, okay? We got we to get a new version and, and rewrite it and just update it. Well, history, if you actually go back and look at history, Greek culture, the, the purest form of love, they actually considered it to be homosexuality. In those days... Guys like Plato and Socrates claimed to be homosexual or, or bisexual. They were known to have relationships with young boys. In those days, it was very acceptable in Greek culture to take a young boy or a young child and make them your partner. So they would then take on the effeminate role. And so this is why Paul is addressing the masculine and the effeminate in this section. Paul is not writing to a culture that is homophobic. Let me just say that. That's not who he's writing to. In fact, 14 of the first 15 Roman emperors were either bisexual or outright homosexual. When Paul is writing this, Nero himself was an outright homosexual or bisexual. He actually had a young boy castrated and publicly married this young boy. So with that, Paul is writing in a culture that homosexuality is widely accepted. The reason why it's been somewhat, if I can say this, kind of put at bay over the past 200 and some years, at least in the United States, is because of the influence of this. And the more this is being taken out and taken away, the more that we're seeing it come back within our culture. Listen, and I say, I say this in love, I really mean this. I, I just want to give you a little context to what Paul is writing when he's talking about this stuff, because we need to understand what God's word is and the culture in which he's writing. And so often we just hear, we go, well, they don't understand that. We're diff it's, it's new now, and it's not the case. It was more prevalent then than it is today in that culture. And so Paul is addressing it. Not only is he addressing it, he's addressing it with, with the Roman emperor, him, uh, emperor himself, who is outright. So you can imagine, and when they open right, the New Testament for the first time and read it out loud, I'm sure some of them went, oh, oh boy. You know, are the doors shut? Are the windows closed? And I know, and I say this with all, like, I, I know my heart is, has been very prayerful on this. This is hard for some of you. It's tough. Because it's a struggle that maybe you have, it's something you deal with. Maybe it's somebody within your family, someone you love, someone close to you, and I understand that. I get that. Please hear my heart. But my job as a pastor is to do my best with God's word. All of God's word. And there are times and moments, trust me, that I go, man, I'd just like to skip over that. Because it's just easier. Because I don't get the nasty emails or, or, or the nasty phone calls or people who leave the church. 
And my heart is not that you leave the church. My heart is that God gets a hold of your life. And that God's doing something. And wherever you're at, like, I, God loves you. I love you. I pray for you. I care for you. But I have a responsibility to preach God's word. Okay, let's keep going. He says this, do not be deceived. And he talks about all these things. And I feel like the first four or five, you go, oh, yeah, that's those people. But then he gets into these. We go, yeah, it's easy, right? I don't deal with that. I'm not sexually immoral. I don't deal with that stuff. I'm awesome. Nor thieves. How you doing on your taxes? Or greedy. You ever wanted something that somebody else has? Or drunkards. Ever just had one too many? You're like, ah, oh, this is one too many, no big deal. Or revilers. How do you handle when someone talks about you or somebody gets in your face? How do you respond when somebody gets all up in your grill? Come on now. I don't like people in my kitchen, right? How do we respond? You see, we have to be careful in this moment. This is really what Paul's talking about. He's like, be careful of thinking of yourself more righteous than others. Paul just did something that I'm uncomfortable with. I'll be honest with you guys. He just put all of them, all these sins on a, on a level playing field. And that makes me uncomfortable. Because come on, I, there's, I, I like to go, man, I'm, I'm not as bad as that person over there. I drive downtown Santa Cruz just like you do. I think thoughts probably like you think. Maybe not. Maybe you're better than me. But I have my moments. Come on, you ever had a moment where you're like, oh, thank, thank you, God, that I'm not in that situation? I mean, could that not be more of a pharisaical mindset? And I do it. And then I realize I do it. And I go, God, please forgive me. But verse 11 is key. And it's good news. I know I've been, I've been you guys are so, we're so down right now, but I'm going to give us good news. Amen? Can I do that? Can I give us some good news? God's word is full of good news. We're going to take communion in a second. Let me encourage you this with this. And, and such were some of you. Nope, that's not good news. What? But you were washed. Come on now. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul is emphasizing, listen. Some of you, this is how you were. But the moment you came to Christ, come on now, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Listen, some of you, that is your story. You were living unrighteous lives, unrighteous behavior, and you encountered the living God. And when you encountered the living God, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they are what? They are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. That is good news. Like, we can celebrate that. You can celebrate that today. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for God who sent his son to this earth for me. A God who sent his son to this earth for you and you and you and you and you. When you were at your worst, he said, I knew you, I knew you before you were even formed. 
and I called you, and I love you. And the moment you put your faith in him, you were washed. Amen? We are washed. That is good news.